You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? Sure. So balance boundaries and breaks is something that came to me when I was going through treatment and therapy. Um, what happened was, is that every time I'd be in a session where there was individual group session, um, you know, these three themes kept coming up. The first one was balance and understanding that balance has nothing to do with being equal, but actually more about equity in terms of giving your time, energy, and efforts to people and activities that will reciprocate them. And so the next one is boundaries. And for me, it wasn't so much about respecting the boundaries of others, which is important, but also understanding my own boundaries and setting my own boundaries and adhering to them. Welcome. Thank you for tapping into some Untapped K, our podcast about sobriety and mental health, where we spotlight stories that provide hope, love, and hopefully some mindset opportunities. I'm one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman. And today's show is brought to you by Sober Athletic Wear, NordVPN, and Way Skincare. We're part of the Believe Podcast Network. We can talk about that later, though. I'm excited to be joined by Evan Whitehead. Evan has been an educator for 20-plus years, holding the positions of special education, paraprofessional, and teacher, community outreach coordinator, and assistant superintendent of special services. In his current role as the director of special services for a Pre-K through 8 school district in Illinois, he oversees special education, English learners, early childhood education, MTSS, SEL, equity, diversity, and cultural competency. Evan is an author, mindfulness practitioner, consultant, trainer, presenter with Dr. Ruby K. Payne's AHA Process Incorporated, and a certified mindset and accountability coach. He promotes a lifestyle and self-advocacy in the areas of mental health, mindset, self-care, and well-being through his three Bs, balance, boundaries, and breaks. Good morning, Evan. How are you doing today? Good. I'm doing well, RJ. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. I'm excited to talk with you because I think that our education does need to, we just need to talk about it. We need to have conversations, right? And- you know, um, I I really want to get into like that balance boundaries and breaks because that's something that I'm just learning about at 35. So mm-hmm. before we get into that, let's hear from Sober Athletic Wear. Alcohol, drugs, food, sex, gambling, shopping, pornography, gaming, and even social media are self-medicating tools we use to escape life's traumas, depression, and anxieties. Sober Athletic Wear's mission is to destigmatize addiction, mental health, and the negative stigma surrounding the word sober. If you have a heart for people dealing with mental health and addiction, show your support by repping the sober brand. Visit soberathleticwear.com to browse soberwear and also watch a clip from our pod- Untapped Keg podcast featuring Troy Colmer founder of Sober Athletic Wear, as he shares his story of addiction and why he started sober. Remember, we're all getting sober from something. So, coming back from that, Evan, like, A, I love your shirt. <laughs> I, already, I already commented on that. But, um, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about you about Evan, you know, introduce us to kind of your directives, you know, a little bit about yourself and, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Sure. Well, um, I'm a husband, a father of two. We were just talking a little bit about that before we came on air mm-hmm. about the, about the joys of parenthood. <laughs> um, and I was just, I was just, as I was sharing with you, um, 
my my daughter's 16, my son's 14, and and my son had a sleepover last night. So this was so we had to do a little quick change in in location for the for the podcast. But um, you know, I think parenthood is one of the best things that um you can ever do as an adult. I think it's 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 true vulnerability in practice because there is no um, rule book. There is no guidebook. There's, you know, everything is truly trial and error. You know, you try your best to follow what some may think is best practice and you try to improve on, on anything from your childhood that you feel wasn't successful. But at the end of the day, it is, you know, truly trial and error and figuring out what, what works best, but it's the joys of parenthood. Um, You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Oh no. Spanned over over forty over over thirty years almost. Um and you know, looking at four different decades. And you know, I, I never dreamed or never thought about being an educator, just one of those things that kind of fell in my lap. Um it was one of the first things that came natural to me aside besides athletics. So I figured it was gonna be a good a good opportunity and a good a good profession to get into. Um aside from that, you know, I do a lot of work um, outside of my school district as well. Um, I was just, as we were talking, I, I really enjoy doing podcasts like this because I get a chance to talk to people um, about, you know, things that I've, that I've endured and things I've gone through and how I've been able to uh, get through them through my own lived experience. And I think that's more important than anything else. Um, I think, you know, when when I think about the word hope, um, and what that means, especially in our community of recovery, you know, whether, you know, um, whatever organization may be in, but, you know, through mine, which is Narcotics, Narcotics Anonymous, it's hearing other people's experiences. And truly what, what that means is that we get, we get joy, we get, we get passion, we get um, comfort and really get some knowledge of hearing other people and what they've gone through to get to, to their point, because I think it, it connects us together. Um, so I'm really, you know, happy to always, you know, do a podcast and and get on a show and, and talk to people about my experiences and what I've gone through and and how I've made it through the other side. That's I you're very accomplished, um, like and I really do enjoy the parenthood talk because that's something we don't talk about. No, nope. you know, that's when you really do realize I think you you kind of muddle through like, oh, at some point life is going to click. Like at some point I'm going to get the instruction booklet and then you get to parenthood and you're like, Oh crap, there is no instruction booklet. Like this is just like you all of a sudden you learned that your parents were kind of full of crap and flying by the seat of their pants too. Yes. Yes. And that's kind of like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I see how this is. (laughs) Right. No, it, 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 it is. And I think, um, you know, for me, and especially with the topic that we're talking about, you know, mental health and sobriety, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being a parent, right, and going through that, and now that I'm in recovery, and then you know, my mental health is a lot more stable than than it was, you know, at one point in time. You know, you think about um, you think about the challenges that that creates in terms of being a parent. I know for myself, you know. Um, what I realized, you know, in reflecting on my past is that I was physically present, right? But um, I wasn't necessarily emotionally present because of all the other things that were going on in my life. And, you know, thank God, the impact of my addiction um, did not, did, was not um, so severe that it, that it, you know, really had a big impact on my children's upbringing. Um, I have a great wife. Um, she's phenomenal. She stuck, she stuck by me through everything. Um, I never, never in a situation where I had an ultimatum in terms of, you know, um, getting clean and sober or, you know, my family leaving me, she never put me in that situation. However, she did, um, unfortunately have to learn to work and live around me. Um, and what I mean by that is that, um, you know, there were times where, you know, if I was, um, using. Um, and, you know, it could have been the day of or the day after, um, you know, I still had responsibility as a parent. And my wife never let me um, back out of those responsibilities. So 
whatever I chose to do the night before, you know what? I still had responsibilities as a parent and she stressed that it wasn't fair to my kids because I made certain decisions. So I was up the next morning going to practices, going to dance recitals. I was, I was, um, you know, involved in games and tournaments, um, all the things that I had to, that I, that I made a commitment to, I still didn't get out of, um, because of the state that I was in. My wife made sure that, that I held up to my commitment or responsibilities. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the things that um, all this is about is there's accountability in this, right? Um, yes. There's accountability. And, and if we want to get clean, if we want to get sober, you know, a lot of that has to do with holding ourselves accountable and not getting out of things and making excuses. And she never let me do that. Um, you know, so I just thankful that that what she was that she still pushed me um, to make sure I did what I had to do and, and made sure that I that I held up to my responsibilities. That's that's a really powerful way to look at it, right? Um, with accountabilities and what we have for responsibilities, and um, you know, something that we talk about here is that it starts with us like wanting to make that change. Um, it's the most getting sober is the most selfless selfish decision that you can make because it yeah. is like you have to make it for yourself starting there and then it benefits everybody else around you. But then a lot, I think a lot of times we think that that's where it stops and that's where we get into the discussions about sobriety and recovery Mm-hmm. and the difference in those definitions. So before mm-hmm. we started the podcast, I never really even called myself sober in public. I just said I didn't drink. Like, I didn't know there was a difference between sobriety and recovery. Um, you know, I went to therapy before we started the podcast, um, and I talked about that I didn't drink and it had been a long time, but I never called myself an alcoholic, and I never... Um, we never explored like the reasons why. So like that going into your mental health and like recovery and everything, like you're really trying to heal. It's not just about removing that, um, you know, the, whatever that your poor coping strategies are. Like if it's a drug, if it's uh pornography, if it's gaming, like those are coping strategies that get, toxic so when they get to the level that's toxic that's when that change has to happen but just removing that doesn't mean that you're not going to throw it into something else like for example i was a workaholic or i really dove into stories like head first and didn't come back out for a while like that kind of stuff it's like why and you know, a lot of it is education, just like learning why. And no. the, the information that we need is not going to seek us out. No. We have to seek that information no, and the I different agree. perspectives on life. Yep. Um, wh- what was it that was, okay, I need to make this change and led you to do that? Wow. Well, um, you know, I think it was a, it was a progression. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that, that it was, that my addiction was getting out of control um, because, um, you know, it was starting to affect my daily life. And I tried to quit, you know, previously, you know, kind of cold turkey and just, but, you know, I truly wasn't ready. You know, that's the thing. I think it's a level of readiness as well. For sure. And, and, and I think that, a lot of times we we want to, we need to, but if we're not ready to totally surrender mm-hmm. and, and give up, you know, all type of control into what we're doing, because we're already we're already not in control. Right. That's that that's a big that's a big myth about about addiction is that is that we yes. we. We, we don't we don't want to surrender and give up control, but we've, we're already not in control because mm-hmm. that's why we're in the situation that, that we are. <laughs> um, you know, I'd been using and then um, the next morning I, I woke up and and I was. Um, I just couldn't do it anymore. 
right? I was, I, I, I woke up and I, and I was just literally, you know, it's, I know this, it's, it sounds cliche, but I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of the cycle. I was tired of the cycle of, you know, of using and then feeling great and then feeling like crap, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, afterward and then saying, okay, and telling myself, okay, I don't want to do this again, but then like, the next opportunity shows itself and I'm doing it. I was tired of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I woke up and, and I was in pain, you know, emotionally, um, I was stuck and I, you know, had to get ready for work, unfortunately. And, um, I went down and looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. I, I truly didn't anymore. I didn't recognize myself. And I just, I got, I got down on, on my knees and I, and I, you know, hadn't prayed in a long time, but I just prayed to God. I said, you know, I said, whatever you need to do to take this away from me, I promise you, I promise you the rest of my life that I, that I live will be in supporting others and living a healthy lifestyle and doing whatever it needs to be. And I, and I said, I don't care. I don't care who knows that I, that, that I'm an addict. I don't care who knows I'm in, I'll, I'm, you know, I'm moving towards recovery. I don't care whatever you need to do to take this away from me, do it. And, um, you know, that day was the last day that I, that I ever used. And, um, you know, there were tears coming down my face and mm-hmm. I couldn't stop crying, but I felt good because I knew that I got to a certain point. And then later on that afternoon, that evening, you know, my wife, you know, had, had picked me up from, um, from doctor's appointment. And she said, she said, okay, so now what? And she said, do you, is there anything you want to tell me? And I, and that was the first time I said out loud, I said, you know, I'm an, I'm an addict and I need help. And, um, from that day on, I've been clean and sober. That's awesome. That's, I'm glad that you, you made that decision. And I'm not saying it's awesome that that happened, but like that you made that decision that you've been clean and sober since that day like similar to me like i woke up and i was just i'm done thinking about who i have to apologize to i'm done not being able to keep anything down for an entire day just it's time and um that is at what you said is powerful that we don't have control no. if we we let us focus on that mirage that we have control. <laughs> if I want to, right. I could do this, right? But we really don't. And, you know, exploring why gets difficult. Um, I never even thought about it because I didn't think it mattered. But it does. That's something that parenthood taught me is it really does matter um, what why I did it, especially if I want to help my kids. Yes, to maneuver the pitfalls that are out there that I put in their way because they are half me. So um, what advice do you have for parents in navigating kind of maybe conversations or just looking out there? Yeah. I, I, you know, the first advice is to be honest you know, with, with your children. And, um, you know, honesty is differentiated based upon the, the child's age and grade level, mm-hmm. right? There, sure. there are some things that, you know, there's some things that, um, you know, developmentally, a child that is six years old won't understand versus a child that's 14 years old. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, but, but, but I think it starts with being honest about, you know, everything that, that happens and takes place. And so you have to think about this is that, you know, if you are um, in recovery or you, or you have a history of addiction in your family, you have to think about those things and how they're going to, how they could potentially impact your children, as you said. So for example, um, you know, you have to have conversations early on about alcohol at parties, right? Yeah. Because, you know, we, we, we think of them so to be so socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. However, for those of us that have a history of addiction, right? Alcohol could, even though it may not be the first drug of choice, 
could be something that could be very challenging for for our children, you know, as they get older. So the way that they see, um, you know, people behaving when they're drinking, the way that they um, see people behaving when, um, you know, they they um, become intoxicated, right? All those things you have to be mindful of so you can have the conversation about what that looks like and also what it looks like, you know, having being responsible, you know, and for some of us being responsible means that, um, you know, for me and, and yourself means that we can't drink at all. <laughs> like that's right. Like, like that's, yes. that's, that's responsible drinking for us. It's not, it's not, Oh, you know, I'm only going to have one or two because you know, one is too many, a thousand is never enough. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we can't, we can't, we can't socially drink. So we have to, we have to set that example for our children. So especially if they know that if there's a history of addiction in our family for, for, for me, I can't do that. Now my wife's different. You know, my wife does not have that that history of addiction in her family. So if she chooses to have a drink or she chooses to enjoy herself when she's not driving and she doesn't have to do anything, like I say, that's perfectly fine for her. But we have to have that conversation with our children about that so they understand and they don't get it confused. Um, because as you said, they're half of me. Yeah. So you, we don't know which half, you know, they're going to inherit. Hopefully, you know, they don't inherit the side of addiction, but because we know there also is a genetic predisposition um, to to addiction at times, we have to just be mindful of that when we have those conversations with our children. For sure. That's it's something that like I've at two and four, I've already kind of planted the seeds, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just going to continue to water them and, you know, learning from Jessica Leahy, like. That was a big eye opener in her uh, book, The Addiction Inoculation. And it's just, there's a lot that we can do that we don't realize. Yes. Like you said, being honest is, it just goes so far with mm-hmm. a lot. But, you know, taking what you've learned from recovery um, and putting that into parenthood. I'm sure it's kind of helped your patience level, right? <laughs> I've noticed it's helped mine a little bit, but uh, how is it as an educator? Because we all know it's different when it's your own kids than when it's somebody else's. And like you, you still want to help. You still have that parental instinct, but at the same time, um, sometimes it can be tough, right? To get through and... Yeah, what, you know what? I, I guess my question here is: What um, techniques have you been able to impart to help them with coping skills? Well, you know, I think um, you know because I don't do a lot of direct service anymore, right? Um, you know, for with students, but I think it's empowering those that do. Um, you know, with the with the opportunities um, to go out and seek the knowledge that they need to do to help. And to do that, and also the type of programming and environment that that we have, you know, um, the, the school that I currently work in, we are very big on on emotional well being and promoting that, and that's a part of mental health, right? So therefore, culturally within our building, that is the way in which people un- understand and know that 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 we operate. So we put that as a priority. So therefore, everything else after that is secondary. So when you do that. Um, you were talking about, you know, self-awareness, social awareness, you know, responsible decision-making, um, things of that nature that, that have an impact on the child. So therefore we're focusing on that before even academics so that we can get that, have that as a foundation in the center so that anything else that comes after that, um, will have a pretty challenging time getting through that foundation of, of what we're looking at. That, that is so wonderful. Like, I'm so glad to hear that because thinking back on my childhood and thinking back on school and even seeing like, you know, kids coming through like, uh, the apprenticeship, uh, I'm a lineman work on high voltage electricity. So come across people who come into the field, like, you know, 18 years old, fresh out of high school or, Mm -hmm. 
you know, upwards of, you know, uh, I had an apprentice who was 40 some and had owned businesses before coming to the company. We, we focus too much on stuff that doesn't help. Doesn't you matter. In, it doesn't help <laughs> you in adulthood, right? Yeah. Yeah. So hearing you like take this, like you're imparting knowledge, but you're also building like functioning people. And yes, the it's hard getting through the walls of tradition, right? Mm-hmm. And it's um. I so my kids are in pre-K and like they're going through kindergarten and then uh my wife is a therapist and she is in schools right now helping them and she's been telling me about how like they're teaching um like kind of coping strategies so like if they get angry you take your hot mm-hmm. chocolate and you blow it out you take a big breath of it in so you can yes. smell it and then you blow it out and then like that is that's incredible. I'm so happy to hear stuff like that. Like that just, it just fills me up with uh, pride. So what started you down this path as an educator to uh, the emotional well-being being the foundation? Well, um, you know, my undergraduate work is in special education. So I was a special education teacher, um, you know, prior to getting into administration and, the majority of the populations that I worked with were students with an emotional disability. Um, so it was kind of always at the root of the work that I did in schools. And I saw <clears throat> that, you know, if students weren't emotionally regulated and stable, mm-hmm. that academics didn't matter anyway. Right. So, so it, you know, it's, it's just the idea that if we don't take care of that, you know, in terms of having a foundation that like, English doesn't matter. Mathematics doesn't matter. Science doesn't matter. Like, yeah. like all yeah. those things are out the window. So like, once again, like we've been talking about control and lack thereof, if that happens, like there's no control anyway. So those aren't going to happen, right? You're not, you're not going to get a chance to get to the curriculum if you don't seek out, you know, and understand what's truly going on with the child. So that what started me on this path. And then as I began to get in different positions and roles, it just carried over. So like every decision that I made, um, every type of situation I was in or position that I had, I always brought the emotional well-being into the forefront of what I did. And that was the lens that I looked at things um, through. And so even at even at a level of a district level administrator where, you know, I'm <clears throat> I guess at times it would seem I may be kind of high, high up on the food chain, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah. But I still bring that um, that experience. I still bring that um, that point of view into the conversations that I have um, when we talk about policy, when we talk about procedures, when we talk about um you know, protocol that we put in, um, we're having discussions on curriculum. I'm still bringing that focus of, you know, social, emotional well-being into the forefront that that needs to be integrated throughout the day, just like any other subject matter. That That's very heartwarming. Like uh, just seeing the evolution of how we look at life. Like, you know, when we were growing up, it was about physical health. And that was kind of it. Yes. Like, it, you know, we talked about happy, mad, glad, sad, but that's kind of as much as we got into yep. everything else. But like now with mental health being incorporated with your physical health, like just as much, especially as your kid, like it, it creates, I mean, you're having the conversations at a young age. So then when you're older, it's easier to have conversations. Yes. It's, um, yeah, that's just the evolution that you're seeing there is just so heartwarming. So um, the next thing that I want to get into is like uh, your, the coalition of schools educating mindfully and how you became involved in that and kind of their mission. But before we get into that, let's uh, hear a little bit of a word from our sponsors. So it's winter time. We're coming into spring change of seasons. Like your skin gets really dry. I've, uh, I shave my head like three, four times a week. I got to put lotion on it. I've been doing a better job, but I haven't always been great. Well, Waste Skin Care 
they really make a nice product that really makes my skin feel uh, moisturized for longer than some of the other products I've used. So quench your thirsty skin and leave it feeling satin smooth with Whey Melrose Place Body Cream. It's fast absorbing to nourish your skin when you need it most. And it's got hydration that lasts and prevents dryness. It's got high quality nourishing ingredients like squalane, coconut oil, and cocoa butter. Experience the new way Melrose Place Body Cream and Body Cleanser. Your body, your way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com and use code B-L-E-A-V to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's 15% off your entire order at theway.com using your promo code BELIEVE. What's more important than your peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. With all the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code BLEAV to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And I was just reading about streamers um, and getting docked so their personal information put out online. And people really recommend a VPN because if you don't, I mean, just like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bad actors. They can find your personal information and then splash it on the internet. So uh, just protect yourselves out there, everybody. All right, Evan. So like, I'm so... I'm very interested in the coalition of schools educating mindfully. I mean, I've already kind of told you how much it's um, it's kind of given me life, to be honest, to, to know that our education system is taking this seriously. And we're not just like, um, I mean, so my four and two year old got a, a report card. It's the first time they got a report card from daycare and preschool. And like, we were really proud. And then I'm sitting there thinking like, what are we teaching them? Mm. Like, should I be proud about this? They're four and two. And I know that they're smart. Who cares what anybody else thinks as long as they're having fun, like progressing with where they should be progressing. Right. But like we put too much stock into these report cards. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about the coalition of schools educating mindfully and how you got involved? Sure. So, um, COSUM um, is the acronym for the Coalition of Schools Educating Mindfully. And our mission is just to, to make sure that we're bringing mindfulness into schools um, throughout the country um, as much as possible. And, you know, for me, mindfulness, as it put, is in the most simplest terms, just being aware of being aware. Right. And so a lot of those things that you discuss, you know, with your own children um, of that, but also, you know, being present and understanding what's going on around us. That's really the, you know, what, what we've done through um, the organization. And I got involved with them um, a, little, a little under a year ago. Um, I knew the executive director <clears throat> had been reaching out to me based on some of the things that, that um, she saw that I was posting on Twitter. Um, we connected and she you know, said that we have some, some future uh, spots open on the board and wondered if I'd be interested in becoming a board. And I can tell you at first I said no. Uh, just because um, with time commitments, I wanted to really be able to, to give um, the organization the time that I could. She said, "You know what? You know we have we have we have enough board members that if you can't 
you know, contribute as much as you like, it's still going to be okay. But I really want to have your voice involved based upon what you do and, and the things that you've been putting out. So I got involved and, I, and I'd say it's probably one of, been one of the best experiences I've had in a long time. Um, just connecting with people throughout the country, connecting with others that have similar likes and interests, and also knowing that, that our mission is to bring this into schools which is something I think is extremely important, you know, you know, today with there's so much that's going on with this, with the students that we have and, and what they're trying to navigate. I think navigating everything, especially since the beginning of the pandemic until now, later on in the pandemic, like, I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable that, uh, you know, students would have to have some type of mindfulness work with themselves just so they can have, um, they can be stable. Right. Because there's so much going on. There's so many challenges have to find a way in which that they can um, be grounded, be centered and be ready to uh, learn in school. It's definitely a skill. And by that, I mean, you know, skills can be learned. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we take for granted innate things like some people, I think, overuse common sense right like that common sense is not something that is (laughs) honestly real it's it is it's skills that you learn and we forget where we start and where we come from a lot of the yes um so like hearing about uh you call it cosm yeah like that's i'm excited that this like this is something that is uh you're do across multiple states right yeah. so uh, if people want to like become involved if we have any educators out there listening and they want to get in touch um just real quick where where could they go to kind of get in touch with college? so they can go to the web to the website www.cosum.com or you can go ahead and google coalition of schools educating mindfully and you go ahead and pull that up. Um, and then when you see it, there's affiliates um, okay. where one of the drop down screens. And if you want to become an affiliate or be involved, that's where you go ahead and click on. And then there'll be more information for you to, to, to send that out to the executive director. And then she'll get back to you. It's pretty, it's pretty simple, pretty quick. Um, you know, but I can tell you that we've seen a lot of headway and a lot of uh, people come on board, even if they're not bringing on an entire school district or mm-hmm. school. Just having membership in different parts of the country um, has been growing quite rap- rapidly. That's that's awesome, and we're going to include that in the show notes. Uh, okay. I believe I already have the website up there. Okay. Um, so, like, or on the show notes, I mean. Okay. Um. So we're educating students on mindfulness, and like you know, your foundation is emotional well-being. Do you try to connect with the parents and teach them as well? Because I've been thinking, and this is where I'm coming from with it, as a parent, um, I've learned that I need to deal with uh, my own problems so that Mm -hmm. I don't put those on my children. Mm -hmm. And um, if I don't do that, like this, then I'm, whether I'm doing it consciously, subconsciously, unconsciously, like I'm putting it on them. So, you know, they're watching everything I do and they take it, mm-hmm. taking it into themselves. So if I don't love myself like I haven't for most of my life, they're going to see that and they're going to absorb that. Um, is there like any way to kind of talk to parents about this? Because it's never too late to do better. And it's never late to start being better. And I think that's something we learn in sobriety and recovery that maybe other people who don't join that community learn that either. Right. No, I think, um, I think the, the best, the best way um, to do it with parents is just, you know, especially like with me is the way the work that I do with any adults is I, you know, talk about um, ways to be honest, mm-hmm. to be open, um, ways to, um, to really demonstrate a growth mindset, right? Instead of a fixed mindset. And I, I, love, I, think that, I love that. Can you, can you explain the difference between a growth and a fixed mindset really quick? Sure. Sure. So a fixed mindset is basically, you know, your own set of values, beliefs, et cetera. And that um, 
regardless of what happens, what goes on is that things are not going to change. They're always going to be the same. Growth mindset entails that we have the ability to change at any time during our lives. And we can, and, and even small steps, small increments in progression is growth and it's positive. Instead of looking at it as, oh my gosh, I have all this work I have to do and I'm this and I'm only, you know, 20 years old and what am I going to do by the time I'm 50 and it's on, and it's on, and it's the task becomes insurmountable. Mm-hmm. It's looking at small chunks and chunking things and saying, I'm 20 now. What, what can I do by the time I'm 21, 22, 23? So by the time that I am 50 years old, right, I will have met my goals. So it makes things more realistic. So they don't become overwhelming to us. That. So I recently like learned about this and like I've really adopted the growth mindset and I mean you can break it down to what can you do tomorrow or what did I do better today than I did yesterday Mm -hmm. and honestly sometimes it it is take a step back take a step back to to look at the forest through the trees right and Mm -hmm. understand that I I know I need to slow down today because I went so hard yesterday and that helps your patience level because you're 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 taking that deep breath. Um, and that's just about like life. Like so, you know, I spoke about how like I was I I was so deep in self-loathing, I didn't know that I was doing it, right? Like mm. I was just waiting. Like anytime that something good happened, anytime that like I was having fun with my kids or something, like I was just waiting for that other shoe to drop. I was just and sometimes I would create it through self-sabotage and not realize it. Um, I think as, as parents, you know, we just need to understand that we're not perfect. Yeah. Putting ourselves on pedestals for our kids is setting them up for failure. And like you said, being honest about who we are and what we can do. It does. It goes a long way with your kids. It really, really does. Um, so when you're talking with parents and you explain this, the difference between the fixed and the growth mindset, uh, do you get pushback or are people generally accepting? They're generally accepting. I think especially the best when they when they realize that most of their lives they've had a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, and they realize it. I think, I think they're, you know, they're pretty open to thinking about a growth mindset, and especially when you think about what, how you can transfer that over to your children, right? Because you know, if you're a child, you know, you think that everything is a huge deal, right? Everything oh. is right is, is everything's a big deal, and and if you and if you're able to talk to your child about having a growth mindset. It truly does allow them to break everything down and things, put things in perspective and make things um, practical mm-hmm. for them. So most of the time, parents do not push back. They're, they're pretty open about accepting the, the the growth mindset over the fixed mindset. I'm glad to hear that. That's especially with some of the factors that go into today's world. Sometimes we dig deeper, dig mm-hmm. our heels in. Um And focusing on the emotional well-being and bringing in the mindfulness and, you know, talking with parents about the mindset. How have you seen a change like in the culture of the entire school um, as far as, you know, I'm not going to say like disciplines or like uh, punishments or because we all have emotions, but. Is it generally a place where people are unafraid to ask questions and learn? You know, I think um, I think it depends. You know, and that's and I think there are times where um, the adults uh, feel safe, and that's another part about right. It's about emotional safety. Yes. And, and, and um, psychological safety first and foremost. And that's something that we, that we're able to control. Right. Um, For me as a, as administrator, I can control the type of environment in which people work. Right. If, if they feel safe enough to take risks, 
if they feel safe enough to communicate and have thoughts and express their ideas, I can control that because um, I, I'm the one that, that can determine, well, if they say this, is this going to come back to haunt them, right? Is it's going to be a gotcha? Am I setting them up for that? Or am I going by them speaking their mind and sharing their ideas and thoughts and, and there not being any repercussions? I'm creating the environment that you know, that, that I want or the, the environment that's open for that. So I think that emotional safety and psychological safety is huge. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think a lot of, honestly, businesses, companies, anyone could take a great deal of, um, I mean, example from that. Yeah. If, if you only work 32 hours a week, but you feel safe and you feel like you can take chances and well rested. And, um, honestly, like you're not burned out. You're a lot more productive. Yes. You're a lot more, uh, I mean, accommodating. You're a lot more, it's just like a lot. You're like my profession. You're safer. All right. Mm -hmm. When we're not tired, when we're not burnt out, when we're not pushed to the edge, you are safer. A lot of times we think that we have to work so hard, put in these 60-hour weeks, put in these 70-hour weeks, and then trying to balance family on top of it. And we're so stressed out. We're that piano string that's pulled, or a guitar string, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to use, is pulled completely tight. And then next thing you know, you're just the one little string and everything's out of whack. Like. Yep fostering a place where you can allow for that growth is uh i mean it's special it really is i'm this has got me like really excited and um i just for the future like you know just hearing like what like i said like with uh well my, my wife being the therapist and like going through the coping and then like you know, my son brings it home a little bit, makes it easier for me to parent because he has a a little bit of a short fuse from me. So I need to try to control my fuse, but then also try and help him figure out ways to control his fuse. Um, I need to do that by example. Like just these foundations that we don't realize that we need. Right. And a lot of people think toxic masculinity is the foundation that we need. Like you hear people talk about being soft and um, stuff like that. And really it's, it's, it's about the whole and not the part. And that's, what's exciting about this is that it's not just about the part anymore. It's about the whole. Um, What got you started with the mindfulness? Um, yeah, so what started with me was the fact that um, when I was in was not when I was in treatment and therapy, um, I the the first type of meditation that was was introduced to me was mindfulness meditation. So you know, I, it helped me so much that um, I started to put that into the forefront of my daily practice. Had I not gone through that experience, I probably wouldn't have even touched on on mindfulness. I probably would have never touched on meditation because I was like most people. You know, when I think about meditation, I had this idea in my head, right, that that um, I had to sit, sit on the floor, cross-legged, you know, um, fingers touched um, together and like, you know, in, the, in a position that wouldn't be comfortable to me. Yeah, <laughs> because I know I, I I couldn't I couldn't do that. But with mindfulness, just the idea that it was very practical and I'm a practical person and, and but practical, but yet it was effective. So that's what got me involved into the into the meditation and especially into mindfulness work. <clears throat> I honestly think that that's extremely important that people see the um, lessons that we use in sobriety and recovery, they're applicable to 100%. every part of our life. So like yes. I've been very vocal 
about how, sure, we talk about sobriety, we talk about recovery, but it's more than that. Like you can take things that we learned. So one of my favorite favorite books that I read the past couple of months is Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating mm-hmm. a Life You Love, uh, A Sober Life You Love. And in it, you know, um, it's done by Amanda White. And she talks about emotions and just how it's okay to feel them. It's okay to allow them. And like, that is something like you learn that in sobriety and recovery, but so many more people need to hear that. And like, it's so, so much of that book. It's not just about exploring a relationship with alcohol or, you know, whatever coping mechanism you're using. It's about, it's about making positive changes to your life with that growth mindset. And I just want more people to understand, like, yes, we're talking about a heavy subject. Yes, like, there's seriousness about it. There's people that die from this. Mm-hmm. But it bring, it can also bring joy. We, we live life in the present now. Like, um, and there's just so much more to it than just cutting out whatever the vice or coping that you were using. And that's, I'm so like you taking that and then implementing it and it going where it has is that's incredible. That's a testament Mm -hmm. to you and how you're open-minded into using stuff. So I, I want to give you flowers on that. That's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, so as we're kind of winding down here, Evan, what what's one takeaway you want people to um, take from this? Sure. You know what? One thing I want to say, one thing I want people to take away is that um, you have control of your life, right? You always have control um, in terms of making decisions that that are that are impactful for you. Um, if you want to make a change in your life, you, you can just do it. You don't have to wait for the right time. You don't have to wait for the right hour, for the right day. You can just do it. The other thing that I want people to take away is that um, when you make a decision to be sober and, and when you're in recovery, it truly is one day at a time. You know, and that one day at a time expression is is a growth mindset piece, right? That one that you t- take it one day at a time, do what you need to do. And if you can make it through that one day, you can make it to the next day, to the next day, et cetera, without having to look so far ahead. Because when we when what happens is when we either are dwelling in the past, that leads to depression. And we look too far ahead, that leads to anxiety. So we want to make sure that we're staying present, being mindful. And taking it one day at a time. I love that. That's that is. Uh, I I I love that those principles you just broke down because sometimes we take too much of one of those, um, or like we look at it as cliches or something, and we just don't fully accept um, what it truly means. And it does take time to learn. Like, that's the thing is life isn't a snap of the fingers and you're getting results. Like it's, it's slow. It's, it takes time to see results. Um, One thing we didn't get to, and I'm really mad at myself for not getting to it because I was really excited to, is your balance breaks and boundaries. Can we talk about that real quick before we sure. get done? Sure. So balance boundaries and breaks is something that came to me when I was going through treatment and therapy. Um, What happened was, is that every time I'd be in a session where there was individual group session, um, you know, these three themes kept coming up. The first one was balance and um, realizing that I had a lack of balance in my life and understanding that balance has nothing to do with being equal, but actually more about equity in, in terms of giving your time, energy, and efforts to people and activities that'll reciprocate them. Um, and I didn't do a lot of that. So what I was, I was giving, 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 giving a lot to things mm-hmm. that I wasn't getting anything back into. And it wasn't, and I wasn't receiving the dividends that I should have been. So that's, that's balance. The next one is boundaries. And for me, it wasn't so much about 
respecting the boundaries of others, which is important, but also understanding my own boundaries and setting my own boundaries and, and adhering to them. So I, I had a real problem saying no. And I would do everything for everybody else, but I would never get anything back in return. So, you know, with the boundaries, I, I had a hard time saying no. Um, so it, it impacted me tremendously because what would happen is, is I would do it. I would do it for other people, but then when they wouldn't do it for me, I'd be let down. But I, would, but I was the only one that was in control of, of that because I was setting myself up to be let down because I was expecting more of others than I expected of myself. So that's, that's the boundary. The last one is breaks. And this has to do with the mindfulness as well. And this is just pausing, taking a moment of time to pause in life, to relax, to take things in and understanding what it means to be in the present. And also taking time out for yourself because, um, you know, another piece that I wasn't doing is I stopped I stopped doing a lot of self-care, whether that meant you just, um, you know, doing things I love to do or taking a vacation with my family. I stopped doing those. So, um, you know, with that and pausing and taking a break, it also with the mindfulness and meditation, you can do that two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, right? You can take two minutes out of your day to pause, to just relax, to think, be in the present and it takes over and it allows you to, to kind of make way for other things in your life during that day. That right there is the trailer for this episode. That's, that <laughs> is life advice right there. Like it was almost like you were talking specifically about me there too. I think that that's <laughs> a lot of us. Um, I yeah, think a lot is. of us have that. And um, gosh, I love that. I love those three B's. Um, Evan, thank you so much for coming on and Thanks, being open and having this conversation. Like you really have provided me with a lot of hope. And I, I know that you're going to, you're providing other people with hope, especially with where the, the education and, you know, talking to not just stopping at children, but also talking with parents about it too. That's beyond wonderful um if people wanted to follow you where could they find you sure they can find me on on twitter which is uh pretty much my social media home you can find me at at evan whitehead zero zero at evan whitehead zero zero you can also find me on instagram which i'm just um pretty pretty new to instagram and just using that um most most recently you can find me at ba at balance boundaries and breaks so Instagram, you can find me at Balance Boundaries and Breaks. Um, and if you want to contact me for anything, for any um, any trying trying to training, professional development workshops, etc., you can email me at um, Gmail. My Gmail account is Evan Whitehead one one at gmail dot com. Evan Whitehead one one at gmail dot com. And we'll we will uh, be putting that in the show notes as well. Um, sure. I love I love that you started that Instagram and it's balanced boundaries and breaks like that's that's awesome I love that I'm I'm just I'm kind of new like we've had the Instagram account for a long time but I didn't really post on it so I like I'm still trying to wade through those waters too because it's different I also for me Twitter is also like my social media home like I just mm -hmm. I, I I go through and I prune who I follow like every once a month and. So there's a lot of uh, mind opening perspectives on there that I appreciate. I try not to get sucked down into the toxic hole that it can be sometimes, but right. Uh, this is this was awesome. Uh, it was exactly what I was hoping it would be uh, talking about this stuff. And you know, you're a wonderful person. Thank I you. Appreciate what you are doing. Um, you know, keep. Keep it up, and I will try and push people to Cosm as much as I can as I come across awesome. it. Um, this has been Untapped Keg, podcast about sobriety and mental health, part of the Believe Podcast Network. We're spotlighting stories of hope, love, and mindset opportunities. You can find us on all social media platforms as Untapped Keg. Uh, if you're listening to this, we're at youtube.com slash untapkeg. You can watch videos, uh, see clips, just kind of see what we've been doing. Um, it's available on all podcast platforms. If you've enjoyed this show, if you have, if you like what you've heard, look Evan up on Twitter. 
uh, subscribe, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Um, we haven't gotten a review in a while. Love it if we could get a couple five-star reviews in there. And let us know how we're doing. Hit us up. DMs are open. If you're struggling, we can offer some peer support. We can help you as much as we can. And if that includes trying to get you the help that you need, we will do what we can. I I love this episode. I'm uh, I'm excited to edit it and get it out to everybody. Um, Evan, thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday. And everybody, let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Because at least if we don't make it, we tried. That's all we can do. Have a good week. Thank you. Love you all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.